again with episode 23 of the Pirates of the Airways podcast and this time we're again out of London this time on the south coast with Ian Harling from among others Radio Cavendish on shortwave and South Coast Radio on medium wave and FM. Broadcasting from the Eastbourne area Ian and a few hardy souls played their cat and mouse game with the DTI even broadcasting from France back to the UK at one point. Before we get into that I'd like to thank Gary and an unnamed person for buying me a coffee and helping to support the podcast. If you'd like to help support this podcast, then please buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash markwakeleyw. Thanks. Now, with the undignified begging over, let's hear from Ian. Welcome to the Pirates of the Airways podcast with me, Mark Wakeley, and this week we're going to go down to the south coast of England. Uh, we were in Birmingham last time, we're going to be in the south coast this time, and I'm going to say hello to Ian Harling. Hello, Ian. Hello, Mark. Lovely to hear from you. Uh, nice to hear from you as well. Uh, Ian contacted me, said I'd like to be on the podcast. Absolutely. I do like to speak to people from outside London because it gives us all, us London-centric uh, pirates, gives us all a bit of a perspective as what was going on outside London. Right then, Ian, I'm going to start with the first question I ask everybody, which is, uh, how? when did you first uh, realise that pirate radio existed as opposed to just radio? When were you first realised that there was a pirate radio? Uh. Gosh, I guess I was probably five or six years of age and I was tuning around on my my parents' radiogram, which was a radio with a a record player on it (laughs) and uh, with valves in it. And I was coming, I I tuned across all these amazing stations, uh, which were called Offshore Pirates, of course. Um, And I just found them fascinating to listen to. Uh, and I guess that, that, that inspired me. And I, I, from that day on, I, I just, just loved tuning around the radio, seeing what, what all these weird and wonderful sounds were coming out of the loudspeaker. Um, and that's when I, I guess I got into the hobby of radio listening. Um, as I got older, I thought, well, you know, I'd like to do bit of um i did a few sort of discos and things as a teenager and then i thought oh i must get my amateur radio license and i thought no i don't want to do that's boring but i now have one but anyway yeah, rewind back to uh, 1978 i just left school and after listening to these pirate stations i thought i want to try something like that myself uh so i remember watching television a bbc program called nationwide and they did a uh, they went out on site with radio jackie of course, Southwest London when it was a pirate. And I thought, cool, that looks fun. Um, and I had a, at the time a communications receiver and a long wire aerial down in the house in Eastbourne. And I thought, I'll see if I can tune into Radio Jackie on Sunday, but they're only broadcasting London, to London, so I won't hear them. Anyway, to my surprise, I heard them. So I, I made contact and I, I asked Michael Knight, the DJ who was on air at the time, uh, could he send me a circuit diagram of their transmitter? Which he did. So always interested in electronics. I thought, I'll see if I can build one. And I did. And uh, it was for my school project, actually. 
Um, well, that's what I told everybody um, for the top band, 160 meter band. But actually, it was for medium wave and built it. Didn't know if it was going to work. Put it on the air and it worked. And that was my. In fact, sorry, I, I, I didn't do medium wave to start with. I did short wave on the 48 meter band. So this was, yeah, we called the station radio Cavendish because that was the school I went to. So it's named after my school. And uh, we started on six to five five kilohertz. I think it was on 48 meters and. To our uh, amazement, we were getting reception reports from all over Europe, um, and that, that's, that was my first dabble in, 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 in pirate radio. And uh, gosh, it was exciting because I knew it was illegal, but we weren't sort of hurting anybody. But uh, yeah, that was the first. That's the, that was my very first transmission. Very exciting. Oh right, okay. Well, it's quite interesting because um, Michael Knight, uh, Nick Catford, as, as we all know him, uh, yes. seems to have been responsible for quite a lot of radio stations. I know the guys from Radio Jackie North bought their first transmitter for him from him, uh-huh. and uh, I also know that um, after speaking to uh, Chris Cooper from Birmingham, he used to come down to London at weekends, listen to pirate station, then contact them and say, uh, "Can you help us get on the air? We're from Birmingham," and it seems to me that. Um, I certainly think um, London Pirates were involved in getting a lot of stations on the air. Uh, yeah, I know Nick Catford was very helpful with a lot of stations. Um, anybody who wants to know more about Nick Catford and what he's done, episode two of the Pirates of the Airways podcast, where I talk to Nick, interesting to say the least. And he uh, talks a lot about the beginnings of Radio Jackie and what how it went on and how it eventually got licensed. Um, okay, so you're doing Radio Cavendish on shortwave and surprise, surprise, you're getting reception reports. Um, yes. So was Cavendish a long-term station or was it a, just no, sort of your was, introductory thing? It was my introductory thing. I, I don't think it even went for more than about a year. Um, so we're talking 1978, August 1978 was the first broadcast. Um, and that, I, I was then contacted by people like uh, Mark Stafford, who ran Atlanta Radio, who I'm now good friends with. Uh, still to this day, uh, Nick Thomas, who is now running Hastings Rock Radio. At the time, he was running Radio Atlantis. So all these people who are also running Pirates were, were, were sort of listening around as well, you know. And I was sending them reception reports. They were sending them me reception reports. And it turned out that these guys didn't live that far away from us, you know. We were only in the next county. So that's how we got t- together. Uh, that was good. Then I, I thought, let's try – I like the thing that. I know what Radio Jackie have done. Let's try medium wave. So went and bought a crystal for the medium wave band, uh, retuned the uh, the uh, tank coil on the transmitter. It was a, a Pi tank network. So we had to we we had the coil wound on a toilet roll. So you know, no <laughs> not, not unusual from various uh, people that I've spoken to and, and various rigs that I've seen. So we had a few more turns on the coil and it would tune up nicely on, on uh, medium wave. Um, and it, we didn't really know how much power we were putting out. It turned out it was about eight watts of AM carrier. That's all it was. But conditions were so good in those days, of course, you know, eight watts goes a long way into a decent aerial. Uh, and so we tried medium wave. And again, we'd give out a phone number of the phone box, which was down the end of the lane, and just see if the phone would ring. And it did. And we were getting calls from, we actually got calls from the Isle of Wight, even France. How the hell is this signal getting over to France? Um, and that, that was that. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And we then, after about six months of broadcasting on Sunday mornings, it happened. We got our first raid. And uh, that was quite exciting because we sort of, as teenagers, sort of 
what's going on? So we picked the gear up and sort of ran across this field, uh, only to be, uh, I really still remember the the, uh, the shout from the police, stop or we'll set the dogs on you, they said. So, of course, we stopped. Turned out they didn't have any dogs with them. Anyway, we, uh, we were taken to court and uh, fined £25. <laughs> And that's when the, the magistrate sort of said, uh, well, if you're interested in radio and you build your own transmitters, why don't you get the amateur radio licence? Uh, and my words were, no, nah, it's boring. <laughs> Which, of course, I have to say, uh, it isn't, because in 1990, I went and got my amateur radio licence. I still use it today. I absolutely love it. So, yeah, radio got into the blood, uh, I guess. Um, so then medium wave, of course, we we started doing you know, a few bit few transmissions after we got raided and then we thought uh, i went over to holland with mark stafford to visit another medium wave pirate called radio nolan who used to transmit a fantastic signal uh, a rock station on medium wave and uh, in the little sort of electrical shops in the netherlands in those days you could buy transmitters just the circuit boards transmitters and we thought, oh let's buy one so we sort of got it <laughs> we stuck it in a bar of chocolate because i didn't drive at the time but we, mark who was driving um wrapped it up in a bar of chocolate because we thought if the customers see it I think it's chocolate <laughs> anyway this we, we, this this was a, about three and a half watts on FM and it was a VFO so it did drift but after 10 minutes of warm up it was okay uh, so we used that and then I, I copied the circuit and built lots of transmitters with amplifiers as well uh, and started a station from the top of the hills above Eastbourne on FM and my god that that did that did fly the signal got again got across the, the channel to, to France and uh um, it was just brilliant. This little transmitter sitting up on the top of the hill, beaming down into the town and across the, you know, the channel. And of course, we started getting raided again. And um, it would be every week the DTI would turn up. They hated us. I don't know why. We weren't hurting anybody. Um, so we got so many raids, and this went on for several years. And then uh, we, we stopped broadcasting for a while. Then we tried linking, having the studio in place. And you know, doing live programs, um, and that was quite funny. Once we were sitting in the studio, looking out the window, seeing the DTI sort of looking around outside, thinking, "Oh, hang on, the, the transmitter's not here. The transmitter's up on the hill because they were they were tracking our link frequency." So we switched that off, got away with that one. So we had lots of cat and mouse chases with uh, the DTI in the day. Um, it was all, you know, it was that's just the way it was, really. Um, but we lost lots of transmitters. They raided us, took the transmitters, didn't always catch us, but took the equipment. So we were building transmitters every week <laughs> at one stage. But it was good fun. It was a, a real learning curve, how to get into electronics, maybe not the conventional way, but uh, it was always been a hobby for me. And uh, I, I, yeah, just love it. I look back thinking I would never have changed anything. I would have done exactly the same now. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, it sounds to me like you were quite self-contained down there on the south coast. Um, the station I ran, I couldn't build a transmitter for Toffee, to be honest. And I used to buy all my rigs uh, from a guy, I mean, people know from Martin, um, Dave Lane from Alice's Restaurant. And it seemed to me that in London, there, you know, there was lots of stations, but there wasn't that many rig builders. And I think if you were you were a good rig builder, you did quite well out of the whole thing, because obviously, the, you know, there were plenty of raids going on. Uh, just sure. just going back to uh, the medium wave, was the medium wave still Radio Cavendish, or was that South Coast? No, Radio? sorry, no. That that was uh, we changed the name to South Coast Radio, um, and we went out on two two seven meters. Um, I'm just trying to think when when we did that because we wouldn't have been on the same frequency as Radio Jackie. I think I think they were on thirteen. 
32. And I think we were nine kilohertz up or down from them because we, I know we broadcast the same time as they did, but we wouldn't have been on the, the same frequency. So yeah, it was I around 227 metres. I doubt they would have been very impressed by that, to be brutally honest. No, no. Oh, no, there was sort of 60 miles difference, but it was still could have caused problems. So Exactly. But, uh, yeah. And there was that all from Eastbourne, around the Eastbourne area? It was, yes. It's all, all around Eastbourne. Um, and yeah, yeah, Eastbourne and uh, within sort of five miles of Eastbourne, uh, the fields and the hilltops in that area. Was there much um, of a pirate scene down there other than you guys? Were, were you it or was there other people dotted around we the area? We were it to start with, but then a, a few others started coming on because I was building quite a few FM transmitters. Um, people, friends of friends said, oh, could you get build one of the signs? And at one point, I remember this, we were up on the top of the hill overlooking Eastbourne and there were four of us broadcasting on FM, four pirates broadcasting this on a Sunday evening. It was in the days when it was all pre-recorded shows. So we were up there with our set tape recorders and transmitters and uh, dipoles. I used to make my dipoles out of old coat hangers because I knew they would be, you know, they, they wouldn't last a few weeks. They'd be, get taken. So uh, metal coat hangers were very useful to make a half-wave dipole. And were you all, broad- all broadcasting from the same field? Uh, it was the same hilltop, yeah, all within a few hundred metres of each other. <laughs> And it was like, okay, how many phone calls did you get? Oh, we beat you. We got more listeners than you did. But it was it was just amazing. Um, and, and these guys, again, today are still around, but not on uh, those frequencies. They uh, We talk to them on two metres on, on the amateur radio frequencies. So it's uh, it was, as I say, an interesting journey into, into the hobby. Yeah, it, it, it seems... <laughs> DTI wouldn't have had much problem raiding everybody if you're all in the, on the same hilltop. They're just going to pop along. I suppose the last I one. Think, I, I, I remember speaking to this. Yeah, true. One of the guys, Gary Hart, his name was, one of the DTI officers. I remember having a conversation with him in the local Tesco's a few years ago. He said, I love those days. He said, he said I, 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 able to, I was able to build my conservatory out of the overtime money I earned from raiding you guys. So that's... that's that's when the post office had a lot of uh, DTI staff who, who could uh, go and do these things. But uh, oh, that's fantastic! What with what with cutbacks, you can probably transmit for a couple of years and get away with it these days. Yeah, well, Danny oh. Baker, when you see him on stage, talks about the house that Daz built from the Daz adverts. Uh, he's obviously talking about the uh, the uh, conservatory that the pirates built. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly that. Did Did you have uh, a, a I say a decent relationship. What were they like? I mean, this thing about the police and the dogs, everyone's falling for the daft police things at one time or another. Um, if you listen to Danny Darpel, Danny Darpel's interview uh, on this, he says that, you know, his first time I ever got raided, they went, is this the first time you've done this? You went, no, no, I did a test two weeks ago. So they did him for both. Uh, oh. So literally he um, confessed to another time and then they did him for that and he didn't even think about it at the time. Uh, mm. and, and you fell for the, well, set the dogs on you. Yeah, we, we had a we had a guy who was, uh, I guess, the Eastbourne version of Eric Gotts, a little bit overzealous, should we say. Took mm-hmm. it seriously, took it a bit too seriously. Was was um, not particularly a nice person and um, his name is John Reed. Uh, who uh, I'm sure people, a few people listening to this would, would have heard that name. Uh, he's no longer with us, um, but he, yeah, he was probably uh, Mr. Nasty out of all of the uh, the people. He would sit, he would actually sit outside the house on a Saturday night, knowing that I'd be putting the transmitter on on a dummy load, and um, just sit outside in his mini. Um, and my father was a music teacher, and he had a, a teaching a, a teaching the piano accordion. And he had these uh, pupils in the studio on a Saturday evening, 
and um, some of them were, were you know, youngsters. So my, my father knew exactly what was going on. So he phoned the police and said, um, there's a strange man sitting outside my studio. I'm a bit concerned. And the police came along and moved him on. It was, it was hilarious. So we, we, we got our own back on him for that. For that. But so, yeah, he was just a bit overzealous. And, um, Again, the, the various tactics that, that various people, uh, various people from the authorities have used that are, talking to Chris Cooper a, a few weeks ago and he was saying that in Birmingham he actually got followed to his house by the DTI um, you know and then they knocked on his door and he said mum tell her I'm not here and all this sort of stuff and the bloke left a card <laughs> and it, yes. it, it expected Chris to phone him back I, I, I can't remember if he did or didn't now <laughs> but uh, you know all, all the various things I know the guys from Radio Jackie used to phone up and say you out today and they go nah and that'd be, that'd be fine um, mm. but it, it, it's I think everybody seemed to have an interesting relationship with the authorities who were doing pirate radio. And I think... And most- and, and, yeah, absolutely. I mean, l- later on in life, when when sort of we were doing sort of the FM, uh, John Reed wasn't really involved in that, those raids, but uh, the guys on the FM weren't too bad, although they used to come out an, an awful lot. You know, they, they'd see us up on the hill, we'd wave and run off, and that would be that. That would be that. You know, they'd earn their overtime. They hadn't caught us that time, so... There'd be a following week. They'd come out and try again. So we'd move location, and it was a game of cat and mouse. Um, I, I suppose on the report they say they got you off the air, which is what they were there to do. So exactly. they still, still got their money. And, and again, the, the funny thing is, I, I, I had a, a, a radio QSO on um, forty meters a few months ago with uh, a station who was next DTI guy. He used to come out and, uh, and raid us. Now I remembered his name. And he, after our QSO, he said, oh, Ian, he said, lovely to have made a contact with you. Thanks. The first time we met, I said, no, 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 we've met before. He said, well, according to my logbook, we haven't had a QSO before. I said, no, we haven't. I said, do you remember Beachy Head a few, you know, back in the uh, 80s, Ian Harling? Oh, 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 sorry. No no hard feelings. I said, no, it's fine. None taken. You were doing your job, you know, trying to catch us and you didn't, did you? So, you know, <laughs> it was no hard feelings. You know, we, we're mature adults now and... Uh, uh, they had a job to do. And I guess if I was in their shoes, I'd have been very, very uh, competitive trying to catch them, you know. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I, hard, no hard feelings. <laughs> that's that's the main thing, isn't it? Um, again, going back to the, so, so you started on the shortwave. Where did you find out about how and where to put your aerials up, how long the aerials should be and all that kind of thing? Was that stuff you just learned from books and, and from Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, uh, most people are using this good old fashioned half-wave dipole uh, aerial, you know. So, oh, okay. Inverted, the, inverted L in our case. Oh, yeah, we used an inverted L on medium wave because yeah. we, uh, because the way, but medium wave would be a very, very long dipole. So, so we did, a, you know, half-wave dipoles for uh, 6.2 megahertz and it, it worked well. They, they just worked so well. Um, but, yeah, I, I did a lot of reading up in books and, and, and asking other stations you know, lots of information, like Radio Jackie sent me diagrams and what the hell, how, you know, the formula for the aerials and... Uh, it was an interest of mine anyway, so I, I, I read a few books and learned that way. Learned by doing and making mistakes, really. And did you have much contact with, with many other stations? Um, so, I mean, you say there was four other stations at one time broadcasting from virtually the same site you were. Were there others along the South Coast that you knew as well? Uh, there was one in Atlanta Radio that Mark Stafford was was running. He he lived uh, in uh, between Folkestone and Dover. Um, so we used to meet up with him. Uh, and other guys, I never actually met them, but uh, Radio Cathy on the Isle of Wight. 
they were, they would come on medium wave as well from time to time, and we would write to each other. Uh, the, the guy's name was Graham Dyer. I've tried to track him down, but I I, I think. I think he's is in the out Facebook. there. Graham is out there. Oh, is he? I think well, it's either him or someone else from Radio Cathy is on the Facebook group because I've I've had conversations and there is talk about the whoever it, whichever one it was. I can't remember off the top of my head doing an interview for the podcast. So uh, stay tuned. Oh. Yes, well, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah, I, I love the fact that there was a pirate station on the Isle of Wight as well. I think that's fantastic. I, I understand there were some stations in the Brighton area, but that was before I started. I think they were before me, so um, sort of late 60s, early and 70s. And I think there were dance stations there in the 90s as well. Um, in yes, there were. One yeah, of the places yeah, I, that had plenty of that sort of thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so you've got South Coast Radio on medium wave, uh, 227-ish, as we've talked about. Uh, then you move on to FM. Um, what sort of what sort of you say you were building um, amplifiers for those? What sort of power are you running? And was it stereo? Well, the, was it stereo? It wasn't stereo. No, not well. Not to start with, it wasn't. It, at, the, at the very end, as when we all finished, it was stereo. But we started with a station called Radio Liberty, um, and then we changed the night. We stopped broadcasting for a while. Then we built some amplifiers. The maximum power we had to put out was 40, 40 watts, but that was into a, an antiference three element beam. Um, and uh, let me say, change the name to ABC Radio. And then we got another raid. And what we did then, <laughs> a few weeks later, we took all our equipment over to Calais in France <laughs> and, and went up onto a, the hilltop called Cap Blancnay, which is a bit like Beachy Head is to Eastbourne. And we thought, okay, we'll do a broadcast. And this was a, lot, a live one uh, from the top of the hill, pre recorded music with a little mixer and a microphone. Again, into this beam, and I pointed it back to towards Dungeness in a vertical polarization. And um, one of the, the guys with us went down to the local phone box to, to phone our friends in, in Eastbourne. Can you hear us? Can we hear you? You're just as strong as you are when you're in Eastbourne. So we were getting from Dover right way, way through to sort of the other side of Eastbourne on FM from, from France. It was just amazing. It's an amazing sight. Um, so that was sort of our fingers up to the DTI at the time because they couldn't catch us. And luckily, they, we didn't get stopped by customs on the way back. <laughs> what, what, what's the legal? Um, what was the legal situation in France at the time? Could you have been uh, um, tracked down by the, whatever the French version of the DTI was at the time? I, quite possibly, but it was literally just a day trip. We just went there on a Sunday, did the broadcast, and came back afterwards. So we didn't stay over, overnight. But uh, uh, post that, we did get involved with a station called RBL. Radio Boulogne Littoral, which used to broadcast out of Boulogne. And on Monday nights, they had a, an English program. So we used to go over and do shows over there. But that station's no longer around. But, oh, right. uh, yeah, we, it was it was just something we, what should we, let, let's just try it, see if it works. And it did. And again, since then, I've been back to that very location with my uh, amateur radio equipment. And it's, it's, uh, it's all about the location, really, I guess. Uh, well, I, 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 I think you're probably, I think it's, sort of on medium wave as well in a lot of ways um so what what sort of um time was was the the end of the the fm stuff then you say you did that for a few years after the medium uh, yeah wave. I, I wrapped it all up in, in 1990 um got sort of fell off of being chased and we thought well we can't really keep on doing this we're you know we're getting on in our it, well how, how, how old was i 1990 um, do the maths about uh, yeah about thirty I think something like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
and uh, it was a case of well, I think we've you know um, we've done it, so let's let's sort of wrap it wrap it up, and uh, that's when I went off and took my amateur radio license. <laughs> okay, so then then you go into amateur radio. Um, are you still involved in music radio at all during that time? Uh, I am indeed. In fact, uh, a couple of years after doing uh, the, the amateur radio license in 1990, of course, Ofcom changed the rules and said uh, you can now um, get a restricted service license to start broadcasting if you want to for special events and things. So uh, Nick, that used to run Radio Atlantis in Kent, uh, started a station called Hastings Rock in 1993, so 30 years ago. In fact, 30 years ago this month. And the station is back on again, came on yesterday. Uh, so it's the 30th broadcast of Hastings Rock, which is totally legal. Um, and I'm now involved with that for the month of May. And what was the reason for Hastings Rock? Just because you wanted to do a rock station? Was we there wanted a- to carry on, yeah, carry on doing rock music and, and uh, um, that's why we did it. And it, it was so popular, they say it's still going now, 30 years later. Initially, it's only once, once you know, it's normally twice a year it's, it's on, on FM. Um, and of course, it's online as well, but we're, we're on 87.7 at the moment and also streaming online. Um, so was there any, ever any desire to... Um, you know, get a license for the somewhere on the south coast, or you know, uh, start a proper. Uh, I say proper. Sorry, start a, a licensed community station or anything like that. Uh, or has it really just been a hobby? It was pure, for me personally. It was purely a hobby. Some of the guys that were working with us did go off and and get jobs on legal stations. Um, and there's a guy called uh, Rick Scott who, my listeners, he was a young young teenager. He he now makes his living out for commercial radio and he uh, is a voiceover artist uh, still lives locally um, so but for me it was purely a hobby job I mean I I, I, I went and worked for uh, the local authority for 30 years 30 years and um, you know I, I had what I called myself a proper job <laughs> so radio was purely a hobby but I thoroughly enjoyed it so I, I wouldn't change it for the world how many times did you, th- did you personally get caught then um, do you know I, I've lost count Several times, um, <laughs> not it wasn't so sort of every every week, obviously. But no, I, I think the first time was I got a twenty five pound fine, and gosh, later on, I think the, the worst. Yeah, we 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 ran a station called Chaos FM as well. Sorry, that was the last one we did, Chaos FM, and that was just before nineteen ninety, and uh, that was going out on um, FM and also being broadcast on shortwave. We were linking it to the shortwave transmitter. And um, they got us for that as well. They raided both sites, and um, that was the thought. It's time to, to give it up, really. So I, th- I think I got about three three prosecutions in the in my pirate radio career, which probably isn't too bad considering what some people have uh, been through. Uh, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people spent a lot of their Sundays running away from the authorities, or uh, or spending some time being interviewed by the authorities. Um, Looking at the shortwave thing again, there seem to be quite a, a community of shortwave people and they all seem to know each other very well. The guys from Zodiac and Empire Radio and um, European Music Radio and things like that. And I remember the name Cavendish from back in the late 70s as well. Um, and it seems to me that, that, that there was a bit of a community of, of shortwave stations. Were you part of that group? Yes, I was. I mean, the, the, you mentioned Radio Zodiac because um, they were based in the Crawley area, Crawley not a million miles away from Eastbourne. We, we did all meet up and we were uh, friends and, um, yeah, kept in good contact. And as we still are today, I mean, Mark Desani is a friend of mine and 
is over in Italy. In fact, uh, in August, I'm going over to Italy with my partner and uh, we won't be very far away from where Mark lives. So maybe even chance to meet him after all these years. Yeah, we did, um, again, a few episodes ago, uh, me, Laurie Hallett, uh, Martin Spencer from Alice's and Mark all in the same studio having a conversation. I managed to make two podcasts out of that because basically we just talked non-stop for just over two hours. I, I, I can imagine, yes. <laughs> and, um, and it, you know, it, it, just all about the old days, basically. We all knew each other um, through various stations and uh, it was just really nice to have that little that little get together with all of us in the in the same thing. And I hadn't seen Mark since the days of Zodiac FM in London, so it was really nice to catch up with him. Talking about the old days, apart from sort of being friendly with the guys from Radio Jackie, I also went up and, and met and did some shows on Radio Corsair. It was very closely involved with Skyport Radio on shortwave. Yeah. Um, and, and Dave from Radio Corsera now lives lives up north. So I'm still in contact with him, so it's, it's, it's good. It's most of my true friends I met through uh, through our hobby. It it is remarkable how one is we all seem to know each other. Well, I think the Facebook group helps. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Social media really does help. It keeps people. Yeah, work. well, so, you know. well, I don't know if you know how the Facebook group started, and I've I've spoke about this before, but it, it was me and Mark Tizani were exchanging messages and pictures of various bits of memorabilia we have, and I said, "Oh, is there a Facebook group?" And he went, "Don't think so." So I thought, "Well, there we go. Set it up, and we're now Excellent. we're creeping up towards eight hundred members now." That's brilliant. That's uh, which, really good. which is lovely and lots of lots of names in the past and there's still plenty of people not on it uh, mm-hmm. i know there's a few people who are not on facebook anyway and and uh, won't go on it but it, it's it's just really nice and uh, lots of people have caught up with people that they'd not seen for years and years and years or heard from um and it's great so um if, if anybody who's listening to this is not on the facebook group uh Land-based pirates of the 70s and 80s on Facebook. Uh, go on there. Answer my question. If you don't answer the question, you don't get in. Is the long and the short of it. Answer my question and jump in the group. Then just scroll through because there is lots and lots of stuff there. Um, and uh, and uh, Ian, you're one of the people who's contacted me through the Facebook group. Thank you, Mark. It's been a privilege to to you know make contact and uh, another friend to add to the uh, the list. Um, so yeah, if you're listening to this and you want to join the group, do as Mark says, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. So let, let's just bring the whole thing up today. So you took your radio license. Um, I did, and now you're a G something 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 something. I suppose. I am. I'm a G seven. Uh, I've also got a Dutch license as well, so I've got a Dutch call sign, and uh, that I am actually moving to the Netherlands. Um, yeah, because so. you, you did mention to me before that you have connections with the Netherlands, and uh, I do. Yes, um, it, it's it's weird because when, again, when I was a young child, I used to love listening to Radio Netherlands and all the shortwave broadcasters. And uh, a few years ago, I was actually when I was over in the Netherlands, I actually went to the transmitter site of uh, Radio Netherlands when the aerials were still there. The station had been, long been off off air but the, oh, the transmitter site was still there and the arrows were still there was that at Hilversum uh, it wasn't no it wasn't well the studios were in Hilversum but right. the transmitters were out at Flavorland and the I was just looking up at the arrows like a small child in a toy, toy in a sweet shop thinking wow uh, anyway a few months later uh, I've been told that they've all destroyed been just been uh, blown up destroyed 
There's nothing left of them. So I'm glad I actually got to see them. Yeah, that, that's excellent. I, mean, I, I don't live yeah. a million miles away from Droitwich. And of course, I'm every time I go past oh. it on the M5, I'm like a small child as well. Look at them going, wow, aren't they great? Only, Mark, only last year, only last year I visited the, visited the site. I was driving back for seeing a friend of mine, another radio guy. I used to run Radio Utopia, Nigel. And I thought, do you know what? I just want to go and see this transmitter site. And I remember parking by the church looking up at the aerials and then putting my car radio on and tuning around. The poor old car radio was squeaking like a banshee because it was being completely clobbered by the RF. But uh, it has to be it has to be done. Yeah, I think you can hear Radio 4 pretty much on your toaster if you live in Droitwich. <laughs> you probably can, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it buzzes in, in um, uh, along with the pips and the cricket commentary and all kinds of things. <laughs> um, it would explain why the sheep glow pink at night time, <laughs> the sheep in the field. <laughs> It's remarkable, and, and uh, like all of us, and I think we're all in the same boat here. But we've had these conversations before. Is that I, I now live in the shadow of the Reekin in Shropshire, and we have a great big flashy mast on the top of the Reekin as well, which uh, has been there for quite a long time. And much of our local media is broadcast from that site. So um, always nice to see that. I know I'm near home when I see the mast on the top so, of the Reekin. Uh, it's that's it's fantastic. It's a lovely site. I think you know these people moan about uh, seeing uh, wind farms and these large aerials I, I think they're great yeah, I, I have one in my back garden any day yeah well, we used to live in Northamptonshire and we had lots of wind farms there and uh, we jokingly called it Wimmillanshire because there's just <laughs> lots of wind farms all around there but yes I agree with you and, and uh you know, it, it, it's just very nostalgic. I know they're all going to go in my lifetime. That's the unfortunate thing. But uh, it all moves on. They've they've only been there for just over 100 years, most of them anyway. So, um, which but is isn't a, it important that we keep the history alive? Never, you have to keep... You know, I would like lines. to think that they will keep Droitwich as a sort of a museum. But the upkeep of those towers must be incredibly expensive. I know the fact that to broadcast from those sites is quite expensive. The electricity and, bill must be phenomenal. Well, yes. I, I've had this conversation with people on this and uh, various other places. I was uh, I, I was told that um, 3% of the people listen on AM to various stations around the country and 30% of the cost is AM. So really, mm. it, it's really not financially viable and as, yeah. as nostalgic as I am for it all you know I mean I said I live in Shropshire so we've got um, uh, Sunshine Radio still on Medium Wave here we've also got um, a couple of community stations from Birmingham and of course Radio Cymru who's still uh, uh, on Medium Wave here uh, talking in Welsh which I don't understand so <laughs> but um, yeah I, I do think um, time moves on that's the long and the short of it time moves on and that the, you know the internet will eventually take it all over, including the DAB stuff as well. It, yeah, it will. But one one thing to, to to remember is when the internet goes down, or if it goes down, because they could switch it off just like that, couldn't they? What's left? I know there's, there's, there's a sobering thought. Well, I, I I know that there's quite a few transmitters still kicking around out there, so uh, <laughs> it, it might be a sudden thing. Uh, just quickly on the Netherlands uh, thing, is it? Am I right in thinking that they are now giving out licenses for Medium Wave now that they've switched yes. off the um, commercial? Yes, medium they wave? are. Yeah, and I, I know several people who've actually got the, the licenses. And when I'm in my car sitting at Beachy Head overlooking Eastbourne during the daytime, I can hear six of these stations on my car radio wow. which is quite surprising but there is a sea path between many of these transmitters and where i'm receiving um but they are running low power and i've actually been over and, and i know some of the guys that, that run these stations um 
but yeah, they they they're out they're out there. They're, and what what are the regulations? What what are the Dutch authorities saying you can and can't do with them? Well, they're limited to 100 watts, um, but Dutch more, more power Dutch, than I ever used on medium wave. Well, <laughs> yeah, but you know, the Dutch being the Dutch, they do things big and big. They do it properly, so yeah, they're probably not using car watts. batteries in a forest either. So. No, 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 I, no I, I, I can't name names, but I know certain ones run. Should we say a little bit more than 100 watts? <laughs> um, you know, but that Radio Nolan on medium wave used to run three kilowatts. Um, but uh, hey, they wow. do it properly. Yeah, they yeah, do it properly. Absolutely. I was talking to one of the guys who runs an FM station over in the Netherlands near Hilson recently, and uh, he said, yeah, when we come on, uh, we, we sometimes run up to 10 kilowatts. <laughs> it's like, what? <sighs> yes. They, yeah. They, they do it they, they do it properly over there. Absolutely. 10 kilowatts. That, that would be tremendous. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I know there was some talk from Ofcom a little while ago about de- deregulating an awful lot of the uh, the radio spectrum. Um, whether they're going to let us use medium wave or not, I don't know. It would seem a complete waste of the uh, of the of the um, airwaves, to be honest. If they I think they would, happen. I think things. Well, even if they don't officially let it happen, it, it's going to happen. It has happened. If you've only got to tune around the medium wave of, of the weekend, um, and suddenly these signals will appear play non-stop music, then disappear. Um, I've heard that several times uh, over the last few months. And do you think so, they're UK-based yeah. stations, those ones? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, you know, I'm i into direction finding. That's part of the hobby. Every week down here in the Eastbourne area, a group of us get together and we do what we call a radio fox hunt, where one of us goes off and hides, and we go and track them down and end up in the pub afterwards. Um, but it's, yeah, so it's, that's, it's, I can understand the... What, how the GTI used to get quite excited when they were tracking us down because it's quite I mean, yeah the adrenaline gets in the blood you go, oh yeah I'm nearly there nearly there uh, but yeah it's uh it's good fun. It's a great hobby. I love it. It's a great cat and mouse game, isn't it? <laughs> um, I know that uh, Nick Catford certainly was was a great DXer. He used to go around and, and, and uh, DFer, sorry, and go. Well, he, and, yes, he, he came down to Eastbourne on his motorbike and, yeah. and, and tracked us down once as yeah, well. Every now and then I talk to people on this and they go, oh, yeah, Nick Catford came to see us as well. And it seems to me like yeah. he, he visited almost every station in London and the southeast at, at one time or another. Exactly. Um, now, the. Uh, the last few things I always like to ask people. So, sorry, before we do that, before we do that, um, Hastings Rock, just tell me quickly what's going on with it at the moment and um, how you're getting out and, and what the response is usually like. Well, it's it's, it's pretty good. I mean, the response is phenomenal, actually. Um, it, it's The phone doesn't stop ringing. The requests are coming in uh, from all over the place. Uh, it's nice to have it back on FM as well. Um, and I'm really you know, looking forward to, to getting back involved uh, at the weekend with, with it. And to think after, after 30 years, it's still there. And there's still a need for it. You know, some stations you know, are great for the first few broadcasts in a few years, but they run their course. But Hastings Rock is still getting the, the feedback from the listeners. If it doesn't get the feedback, then there's no point doing it. But the, uh, it's, it's, they've got a good team behind it. It's very good. And are they ex-pirates, the guys who run it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Nick, Nick, ex-Radio Atlantis, uh, Johnny Diamond, ex-Radio Atlantis. Um, and, yeah, they've got a, a few new new people, I say new, in the last sort of 20 years who have never done pirate radio broadcasting. But it was started by pirates, which uh, was great because we, we, you know, we didn't stick to sort of um, the regular rules. We were pushing the boundaries a bit and that's that's still got the personality presenters on there that's had uh, when it first started so yeah 
it's, it's good. It's worth doing. There's a huge amount of, of, of legit radio, as we would call it, licensed radio, which has a pirate DNA running through it. And even the authorities, I know that Ofcom have a number of pirates and ex-pirates, or certainly ex-pirates involved as I, well. And um, one of my big subjects is how uh, pirate radio or unlicensed radio uh, changed the way that radio is in this country completely. There was a, they were disruptors who came and did stuff. And then the authorities came along and went, oh, that sounds like a good idea. We'll nick that. You know, and, and even right up to things like Laser and Kiss FM and all that sort of stuff. You know, the, these were stations who who took the risk and, and without any real chance of making any money just because they... Well, exactly. exactly. I, I, I remember listening to Laser 558, five, you know, and... Um, they, they go, oh gosh, his name's gone. He used to go out on deck and uh, oh, Charlie, Charlie Wolf, Charlie, Charlie Wolf. He yeah. works for the BBC now, of course, doesn't he? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> great eyes. Yes, uh, they, were, they were pushing the boundaries, but uh, they were entertaining people, which is what it's all about. Yeah, I lived in Essex at that time, and, and it actually used to smash in into Essex. Obviously, uh, it's just it's off the coast. Big, big signal, big yeah, signal, wasn't it? It was, but you know, uh, it moves on. But but and I know that they changed the way certainly Radio 1 thought about how they did radio and a number of stations in the uh, southeast of England as well. Um, and the books have been written about laser, you know, and the format that they have. Um, okay, let me just ask you the last couple of questions now. What's your proudest moment in pirate radio? Uh, proudest moment? Um, going back to the medium wave days, really, when just after we got raided, um, there was a uh, in the local paper a big spread about you know, the fact that we were uh, you know, broadcasting illegally, and um, I wasn't proud about that. But what I was proud about the week after was when letters to the editor. I had a letter, or was a letter to the uh, newspaper from my science teacher, who was my science teacher at school, and he was absolutely so supportive of what we were doing. He said, "Yeah, these guys are building their own equipment there." They're playing music that uh, the stations around here aren't playing. You know, come on, give give them a break. And I thought that's really nice that somebody in authority, like my science teacher, was proud of what we were doing. And to me, that meant a lot. That's um, that's really good. That's that's an excellent thing. Um, and finally, who in Pirate Radio that you've met do you most admire? Is your the biggest guru that you've met? You know, who's the person you would say, yeah, that's the biggest influence on me? Oh my gosh, you've put me on the spot here. Um, uh, it's probably Tony Blackburn. Excellent. Tony Blackburn. What a great yeah. I mean, choice. You have I mean, he's, 80, well, he's 80 years of age now. Yeah. yeah. Um, when uh, they were doing Pirate BBC, Pirate BBC Essex. Yeah, Tony Blackburn, closely followed by Johnny Walker. Brilliant guys. Yeah, I, 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 I can't agree with you more. Have you actually met them yet? Yes, this is on. Yeah, I met them actually at uh, to Pirate BBC, Pirate BBC Essex uh, when they were broadcasting from the LV18 a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember going out there as well when it was. Uh, they weren't at the uh, Halfpenny Pier. They were actually out in the in the um, in That's the harbour, right. and I went out. Yep. They had a little like tender boat that went out, and you went round the uh, round the LV18. Yeah. It was so good, and, and it was the the magic came back into it, didn't it? Because it was. It was just something, it's difficult to explain maybe to, to younger people, but I love the magic of radio. Yes, the internet is fantastic. Of course it is. You can listen to any station anywhere, anywhere in the world. It's almost become too easy. It's almost become a little bit boring. Is that fair to say? 
But tuning around as a youngster, hearing these mysterious stations coming out the speaker was to me, wow, like an absolute wow factor. I, I don't know if I can explain that to, to some people. They probably think I'm an old, I'm an old di- dinosaur. <laughs> but uh, there's something about the magic of it, which I still find amazing. I feel a little bit sorry for people who are not going to have that magic, because I agree with yeah. you. I, I, I was in a very big family. And someone said to me, why radio? And I said, because it was mine. It, you know, it wasn't the television, which we all sat around and watched, and it was whatever, yeah. you know, it, it was what my father wanted to watch or my older brother wanted to watch. The radio was mine, and I could listen Very to whatever. personal, wasn't it? And, Absolutely. And, and, and the, you had the imagination, because you can see what was going on. You could what was it going on? You know, you'd take the radio to bed. We've all done it. We've all taken our transistor radios to bed with us. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're listening to Radio Caroline or one of the offshore stations or Veronica or Monique or whatever, and it's blowing a gale outside and these guys are getting sort of thrown around on the ship. They go, what's it like on the boat? It'd be exciting to be there. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, magical days. I, I agree with that. That magic was incredible. I mean, I, I grew up, I spent my early years in Leeds and Radio Luxembourg really came in very well in the north of England. And mm-hmm. and that was, you know, that was my sort of pop radio in the evening. And uh, yep. um, as you say, Tony Blackburn, Tony Blackburn and Johnny Walker, <laughs> Tony Blackburn in the morning, Johnny Walker at lunchtime. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. How, that's how it used to be, kids. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, that is fantastic. Ian, thank you ever so much for spending some time with us and talking to us about uh, South Coast Radio and Radio Cavendish and all the other strange names that you came up with in, on FM. Uh, Chaos, what was the other ones? I can't remember now. Oh, there was an ABC radio as well. Liberty, wasn't it? Was that another Radio one? Liberty. Radio <laughs> Liberty, that's right. Yes, yeah. the station that changed its name weekly. Excellent. That's, <laughs> that's not going to keep you away from the authorities, though, is it? Let's face it. No, no, no. I know, I know. Absolutely. Mark, thank you very much for your time as well. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Thank you very much indeed. We'll, uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Ian. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this Pirates of the Airways podcast. And thank you to Ian for your time. If you'd like to get in touch with us, then just email us on piratepod7080 at gmail.com or via the Lambay's Pirate Radio of the 70s and 80s Facebook group. We'd love you to review, like, follow and subscribe to the pod, as well as telling your friends about us. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more tales from the pirates of yesterday. So until then, remember, keep a very good lookout during those tape changes. Radio Nova, broadcasting on 1404 kilohertz of the medium wave band, 212 metres. Unfortunately, we've had to suspend your regular broadcasting. This is due to the post office requiring to test and inspect our equipment. We'll return you to normal broadcasting just as soon as we can. This is a 1386 audio production.